Welcome to the 21st Century Church podcast. Please check out our website at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for more information. We'd love to connect with you, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Enjoy this message from our lead pastor, Stefan Jones. We're in the middle of a seven-part series we're tackling this summer called Church Pictures, and we're asking the question, what is church? And what images come to mind when I say the word church to you? And I think at the start of the series, I was saying I probably I'm thinking it's going to be like a chapel building or an Anglican church kind of building. But maybe now if you've been here for some of the series, maybe actually you've had a fresh revelation. Maybe for some of you, now when I'm saying church, you're thinking of Jesus's beautiful bride. You're thinking of the emotional richness of the bride picture. Maybe for some of you, you were here for part one and you're still thinking of the church as a house. You're thinking of the the practical blocks with the Lego blocks and that's what you're thinking about church as, each stone finding its place. But there is more. Part five today. So scripture gives us different pictures of what church is, different pieces of the puzzle, and we need them all to really see what's going on, to get a full picture. So we're looking at how the church is a house, a body, a family, a bride, a city, a flock, and a new creation. So today, church pictures, part five, the church is a city. The church is a city. So let me pray and then we're going to get into this. Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we're alive, that we're breathing, that this is a day that you have made, that we will rejoice in it. And I just pray right now your blessing over this preach. I pray that we would hear what you would have us hear from your word today. I pray that it would impact us, that it would change our mentalities, change our hearts, change our lives and bring great fruit from it. And we ask this in Jesus' name and we all said together, Amen. Fantastic. Okay, now, this picture from the start, it's going to be far less emotional than the last one, okay? So the bride, it's more of a feminine kind of image. It's a bit more got an emotional feel to it. This one is a bit more practical, a bit more masculine. You're probably not going to be weeping at this one. But there's a lot to it because there's a lot to cities. Now, a city, by definition is a place where there's a large gathering of people who live together. And there's there's someone here, I can tell right now, who wants to put their hand up and be pedantic and say, well, in old British legislation, a city is someone with a cathedral. So technically, St. David's is a city. Yes, St. David's is a city, but I feel like it shouldn't be a city. Because if you've ever been to St. David's, there's like 10 people who live there, and it's kind of ridiculous. But yes, St. David's is a city, Trinity is not. But generally... Today, when we say city, we mean a large gathering of people who are living in one place. And I think I can speak for many of us when we say, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with cities. You know, there's there's, there's two things going on there. My my favorite city in the world, which I lived in for three years, is Sydney, Australia. I love Sydney. Sydney. It was an amazing place to live. It has a beautiful climate. It's got lovely beaches. It's got the harbour views everywhere. It's got the touristy stuff. So you've got the bridge and all of that stuff and the Sydney Opera House. But you've also kind of got nice food areas. Everything's of a high standard. Uh, The trains are double-decker. Weird, but I like it. Um, It's got lots of fun things about it. It's well-governed. It's quite safe. 
It's got Hillsong Church in it. There's lots of amazing things about Sydney. Yet at the same time, there were some things I hated about living in Sydney. It was so, so busy. Trying to drive, even in the suburbs, in rush hour, was a nightmare. One time when I lived in the suburbs, I decided to drive into the city centre and I wanted to drive over the Sydney Harbour Bridge. But somehow, in the 10-lane chaos leading up to it, I ended up in a tunnel under the harbour. Don't really know how I got there, but I kind of got there in the end, but it was so, so stressful. And then actually, sometimes if I'm being honest, you think, I know it's by the beach, but the beach just takes ages to get to, and there's so many people, and transport's so expensive, and it's just a pain, and that after a while, when you're a local, the tourists are just annoying, they're just there taking pictures of everything, it's really annoying, there's this love-hate relationship going on, and I'm guessing we've all had this experience, right, Welsh people in London, this is what happens, right, we know this, I mean, it's amazing, we see the sights, we see Buckingham Palace, and Houses of Parliament, and all those things, but at the same time, we can't help but mourn, what, it's so busy, it's so busy. Oh, the two, boy, it's so busy. There's so many people there. And, um, and we can't help say, as tourists, there's so many tourists here. Look at all these tourists, even though we're tourists there as well, right? The 21st Century Church Hillsong Conference trip is legendary because when the bus starts entering London, oh, the morning begins. <laughs> You can hear it around you, the morning about this city is so busy and it takes ages and it's pretty amazing. But this is the interesting thing. Scripture doesn't picture the church as a nice, quiet little village. It doesn't picture the church as a moderate town. It pictures the church as a city. And the things that we mourn about about cities, people say the same about churches. If you've ever been to a large church, this is the things that tend to strike you. I'm talking mega churches now, right? If you've ever been to one like that with over a thousand people there. Straight away you're thinking, wow, there's a buzz here. It's amazing when you, the high standard of teaching t- it tends to be very, very good. You tend to be thinking, well, there's lots of new people visiting all of the time. There's lots of opportunities. It's obviously really well run. Everything is really well done to a high standard. It's got a lot of the similarities of things we like about cities. But the things people mourn about are also very similar. There's too many people there. It's too busy. Even maybe some of you come in here on a big we're thinking, there's too many people here. There's too many guests. Why do they get the preferential treatment? I don't like it. It's too impersonal. How can you know everybody there? Have you seen how much they spent on the projector and the TV screen? The same things people mourn about in cities. They mourn about in churches. But yet, God calls the church, the metaphor here, is not a village. It's a city. Now, I like visiting villages, okay? I like a nice country village, going to a country pub in a village, but that's not a picture of what the church is meant to be. My key thought for this morning, if you take one thing away, it's this. The church is a city, not a village. The church is a city, not a village. And we need a city mentality when it comes to church, not a village mentality. And for those of us living here in Trinity, which isn't a city, we need this message all the more. So 
Before I get into applications, we're going to cover briefly the scriptural story of the city. So we're going to kind of see where this idea comes from. Stephen Matthew, in his book, Building Church, notes this. Wherever God dwelt, around him developed a God-centered community, which became an expression of his life. Here are people living under his benevolent rule, a distinct ordered society which was so observably blessed that nations would have gone and say and then he quotes Isaiah 2 verse 3 come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the temple of the God of Jacob he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths the law will go out from Zion everybody say Zion Zion the word of the Lord from Jerusalem everybody say Jerusalem so What's going on there? What's happening? So the law of the Lord, that's kind of a word for the, the Torah that's going on there. So God's teaching and God's word is going to be going out from Zion and Jerusalem. Are those two separate places? What's going on? What, what is that? Well, actually, they're the same place. Two names for the same place. Why Zion? What's that about? Well, Old Testament expert John Golding, he puts it like this. Zion is a more religious name. So for Jerusalem, a designation of the city that focuses on its being the place where Yahweh dwells and is worshipped. So we see here that Zion, Jerusalem, is God's city. And to that city, the peoples of the earth would flock. His teaching would go forth to the nations. From the city, God's word would go out. Now, the book of Nehemiah, it's a great book for church builders. He's about rebuilding the ruined walls of Jerusalem. And we read that after it was done and the people move in, we read they live in Jerusalem, Nehemiah 11 verse 1, the holy city, the holy city. Holiness is an attribute to God, but it's given here to the city. In the Old Testament and in the Old Covenant, the city of God was Jerusalem, was Zion. Here's the problem. We don't live by there. (laughs) We live a long way from Jerusalem. To go on a pilgrimage there is not a matter of going for a walk. Some of you maybe have been to Jerusalem, which is awesome, and I'm very jealous of you if you have, and it's on my list of places to go to. But we don't live there. But the story of the city continues into the New Testament. If we skip to the book of Hebrews, the author is speaking of Abraham, and his faith for the future. And he notes this. He was looking ahead, you see, to the city which has foundations. The city of which God is the designer and builder. So he's saying, Abraham, back in the day, he was looking forward in faith to the city that God was designing. A city that God was building. So is he talking about Zion? Is that what this is? Verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So God is preparing a city in a heavenly country that Abraham was looking forward to. So it's like, okay, the plot thickens here. What are you on about? What's going on? Is it on about Zion? Now, the author here then goes on and he's speaking to Christians in the New Covenant and he says this, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Okay, so he was talking about Jerusalem then. Yes, I know. It goes on, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. 
This is Jerusalem 2.0, a heavenly city of God. And he continues, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And if you're a Bible nerd, it is the word ecclesia that is there in the Greek. The city of God is revealed as a picture of the church, a place where God's people are gathered. What's this? The church of the firstborn. What does that mean? We're going to put a pin in that and we'll come back to it at the end. Now, it's obviously still to come in a sense. It's a heavenly Jerusalem. It's not in its fullness yet. But nevertheless, it says present tense. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the church of the firstborn. It's not complete. It's not there in its fullness yet. But as a Christian, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of God. You have come to the church of the firstborn. Now, to those advanced Bible students, there's actually a dramatic twist as well in this story where you'd have the dark music come on because there is actually a rival city as well. But we're not going to get into that. But if you want to really plunge the depths, read the end of Revelation about the city of man and the city of God, about Babylon and Zion. So that's a whole other thing, but it's pretty cool. So before we unpack things, one more layer here. You all right? You're still with me? We've got to do a bit of theology here, a bit of Bible kind of story, and then we're going to get into the application. In Isaiah, back there, we read about what the city of God was meant to do in the Old Covenant, what Israel, what Jerusalem, what Zion was meant to do. And we read in Isaiah 49, verse 6, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's what God's people were meant to do. They were meant to be such an example of what it meant to be God's people, that God's salvation plan would flood to the ends of the earth. But if you know the story, you know that they failed. They failed badly. And so Israel's Messiah, who summed up these promises, came instead to fulfill them, and he did not fail. And this is what he said to his people, citizens of his kingdom. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying to us, you are to be a city on a hill that the world cannot ignore whose light shines and drives the darkness away. The church is a city, not a village. The church is a city, not a village. Okay, the Bible kind of unpacking is done, right? Breather, we're all good, we're there, okay. We, we made it this far. Now I'm gonna break my own rules here and I'm gonna give you five practical points, okay, to go from there. But you should be grateful because I actually had seven, so I've cut two out because I went on too long, and we might cut some more as we go, but I'm going to whiz through, okay? More practical, less emotional, no weeping really, but what can we apply from this image? Well, the first thing is this. A city is large, and a village is small. A city is large, and a village is small. I remember a few years ago, me and some of the boys, we went to the 
Dallas and the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's one of the largest metropolitan areas in, in America. If you've ever been there, it is bewildering for us from here because it's all flat uh, and they don't believe in roundabouts in America. So you have these basically like motorways going everywhere. But imagine approaching Trostra roundabout. Instead of being a roundabout, there's just a flyover going in every direction. And imagine that all the time. And if you miss one, you are totally lost. And uh, it is just mental. So there we were in our pickup truck, Cowboy Hat Center, trying to blend in with the locals. You know, so uh, country music on. And then we went to the greatest, not, well, not the greatest, but the largest attended WrestleMania in history, as we went to the Dallas Cowboys Arena, where over a hundred thousand people were in attendance to watch people pretend to fight in pants. It was quite something. And, uh, and in that place, in that place, was just an incredible spectacle. I've never seen a crowd that big with my own eyes before. But it is nothing compared to the church. Maybe you don't know this if you're new to church or new to Christianity and you've only heard what the UK media have to say, but the church is the largest organization on the face of the earth today. Nothing compares to the hugeness of the church. The church exists in every country in the world where it's legal and where it's not. The church is of a figure, we're talking in the billions. The church is growing in most of the world. The church is this unstoppable movement that is like nothing else on the face of the earth. The church is large. In this country, I think the media want us to downplay it that the church is small, but that's to take a very British island mentality to it rather than looking at the world where the church is huge. In contrast, a village is small and cozy and safe and you know everybody by name, but that's not the picture of the global church. That's not the reality of the global church. Now, in the text itself here in Hebrews, there's a suggestion of hugeness and, and a buzz. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels. This is us, the angels, in joyful assembly. There's a buzz there. N.T. Wright, in his commentary in Hebrews, notes, the city is so full of exciting and welcoming features that we ought to find it bewildering and overwhelming. It's meant to be slightly overwhelming. That's why it's good to go to Hillsong Conference, by the way. You should have that overwhelming experience of the size of the church, even though that's a drop in the ocean compared to the real size of it. That's why I love, even in our context, I like big event Sundays. I like Christmas and Easter and baptisms and baby dedications. And I love the buzz of it. I love when the host team are stressed. Sorry, host team. You do an amazing job. But I love it when we just have to find chairs. And then the backslidden Christians who are weirdly territorial about their chairs, they all kick off and moan. And then we have to move them about. And that's just an amazing Sunday for me. I love those Sundays. When you see that, some of you are like, oh, that's me. Okay. <laughs> but this is where we're going. Because the church is big. And God told us his vision for the church. It's in the end of the Bible. Book of Revelation, Revelation 21. And we're going to look more there, part seven, as all the images come together. But we get the measurements of the new Jerusalem. Guess how long it's biggest going to be? Now, this is symbolic, but this is what the angel tells John. This city is going to be 1,500 miles in length, width, and height. Okay, I don't even get how that works. But 1,500 miles... Guess what else was 1,500 miles in size? The Roman Empire. And here, God is telling the Roman Empire, you think you're so awesome with your massive empire, just my city is going to be the size of your empire. 
the rest of the world that's going to be on it on top of it. Now, some Christians are going to have a shock when they walk in there and they don't like big churches and they walk in and go, this city is, is the size of the Roman Empire. What's going on? But yet this is what we see. God loves cities because he loves people. He loves lots and lots of people. Every person is special to him. And so he loves reaching lots of them. That's kind of what he does. When it comes to church, ask yourself, do you bring a village mentality or a city mentality? Do you bring a what I'm comfortable with mentality or actually a biblical I'm scared and I'm stepping out of the boat, but this is amazing mentality? Is it a thing of I'm comfortable with, I want to be able to control and know everything that's going on or being actually what I'm part of is way, way bigger than the part I play. <laughs> I'm just one piece. The world doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around him. And it's big when you get involved there. Now, I know Trinity is not a city. I know that. It's a large town. That's why we need this. A rule of thumb is God wants all to be saved, okay? 1 Timothy. So if the urban area population of Trinity is 50,000, then the rule of thumb is God wants a church of 50,000. Because he wants everybody. If you are a church in a village, it'll look different, but you should be aiming to reach the whole village, the whole town the whole city. It was fitting that the largest capacity church in Trinity, they called it Zion. That's what it's called. It's a thousand seater in the middle of town. They called it Zion. They knew their Bible back in the day. So how did the city get to be large? Well, number two, that was my longest point. It's all good. Okay, number two, a city is expansionist, but a village is protectionist. A city is expansionist, but a village is protectionist. If you're into history, it's awesome to see if it's an old city, how it developed. So if you've been to Antwerp, we went there on a trip to Belgium. The old part of Antwerp, gorgeous, lovely buildings. The new part, though, you can see where it just became a massive industrial port. Not so nice to visit as a tourist. Even in London, the city of London is a city within a city. So the city of London is the oldest part, and the rest of it kind of converged around. Even in Trinity, Trinity started with an Iron Age settlement in Parkhoward. Isn't that amazing? That's the place to be, Parkhoward. And then the settlement spread from there. See, cities develop new quarters. They push out. They grow. They're not protectionist. They're expansionist. Villages, they, they don't want that. They'll get the committee on you if you try and do that. You know, I love going to Hay on Wai. I love the book festival and I love the bookshops there and it's really quaint and you've got the River Wai and it's really nice. It's idyllic. And as a tourist, I would be heartbroken if they stuck a massive Tesco's there and did massive development. As a tourist, it's lovely to go to Hay on Wai. But that's not the picture of the church. The church is not meant to be a nice little boutique development for the taste of Christians. It's not meant to be that. It's meant to be a city where there is a home for everybody, where there is space for everybody, where we build and develop to create more space for others to come in. Now, there's a Telegraph article this week morning about Anglican churches that are ripping out the pews because they want to use it for more space. And how dare they do that? What a horrendous village museum mentality. We would rather see old church buildings as a tourist destination than a functional actual church that can do things. But contrast with Isaiah 2's account of what Zion was meant to do. It says all nations will stream to it. All nations, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. The Lord will go from Zion. I mean, how is that 
for expansionist. In historical terms, the author of this passage was being very ambitious because when he wrote that, they were just a small little country in the ancient Near East, sandwiched between big powers, and yet he wrote, one day, many peoples will come to this place, will hear God's word, our God, Yahweh, the true God, they will hear his word. That was outrageous to write that. Back then, 8th century BC or whenever it was, from there. But yet today, here we are, a nation on the edge of the world, yet uh, as yet undiscovered when this was written, hearing his words. It came to pass. People of all nations are streaming into the city of God, into the church. Charles V was the, was the king of Spain in the 16th century. He was the Holy Roman Emperor. He was ruler of a vast Spanish empire. And he had as his personal motto emblazoned on all of the sails of his ships, one word, further. Take away the ethics of Spanish imperialism. Not so great. But I like that motto. If an earthly king can have it, how much more so? Does King Jesus have that in the Great Commission? His church should never sit on their backsides and say that we've done enough now. It should always be further, further until every person is reached, until every lost soul is gathered in, until all of the world is reached. We will go further. Let that be emblazoned on our hearts. Let us never develop a protectionist, defensive, Christian boutique mentality to church. It's a city, not a village. The church is a city, not a village. Number three, a city is diverse and a village is not. It says, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. The Gentiles were non-Jews. He's saying right here, I know it's all Jews at the moment, but you want to reach other people of other races, of other cultures. That's what we're going to be doing. First thing you notice when you go to London or big cities like that is you see the diversity around you. And the church should reflect that. This is for everybody rich and poor and young and old and male and female and every ethnic and cultural and race and all people. This is for everybody, middle class, working class, every tribe, every tongue. It's for everybody. Now, it's not meant to be a chaos where there's everybody's got separate cultures and they're all fighting each other because a healthy city has an interwoven culture to it. Stephen Matthew notes, a city is made up of many interwoven streets, housing many different trades and professions, each an expression of city life. There are households within the larger city where everyone can feel at home, be safe, and contribute to the welfare of the city as a whole. In each city, there is unique households and different trades and different professions doing different things, but in a healthy one, they're working together. I remember being just in a service where I was off from volunteering, so I was just in a Sunday service in Hillsong one day. And in the bit where you chat to the person next to you, I started chanting to this guy, and he just started having a go on to saying, you know, oh, this is, this is not how church is meant to be. It's not meant to be all these people just listening to one, one preacher and just, just having a go, and what, what, why are you here? And I was saying, well, I said to him, okay, well, what, what are you doing here? He said, oh, well, well my, my daughter, well, she loves the youth ministry. So she, she helps out there and she's heavily involved. And I wanted to say to this guy, what is wrong with you? For one, in a post-Christian culture, your daughter is saved. Secondly, she's serving in church 
and developing the next generation. Thirdly, you're criticizing it that one person is preaching to a large crowd. You can't have multiple people preaching at the same time. That is absolutely idiotic. And fourthly, that's just judging it on the outside. We're actually realizing to make that thing happen, there are so many people. So much is going on behind the service. So many people are being discipled. It was a challenging kind of moment. There's more going on than you think. You see, in each city, there's different districts that do different things and they're awake at different times, but they work together. And the same goes for the church. In just running this, there's different ministries and they do different things. You know, if you take the over 50s and then revolution, they are doing different things. You wouldn't take the battle zone to the over 50s. I mean, maybe some of you'd be up for it. I don't know. But, uh, but also, we wouldn't say to the youth, oh, Friday night, we're going on the pub for a pint and a, and a curry. Do you want to come with us? That's illegal. We can't do that. They look different, but they work together. There's a diversity there, but there's a unity. In the same way in professions in this church, I'm looking at people from all kinds of things, from people who work in the NHS, to people who are teachers, people who are in property, people who are in trade. God needs all these people working together. There is unity in this diversity. See, a city is diverse, a village just isn't. Number four, a city has defenses. A village is defenseless. Very quickly, but you know the point. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, when Saruman comes with his Urukai and they come to invade the plains of Rohan, the images is of the villagers because they're defenseless. The villagers are just running, and where are they running to? The city, the fortress. That's where there is safety. In the ancient world, cities were defined by something walls. A city had walls. So the people inside, had safety and protection. The people outside had less. That's why the book of Nehemiah is so important because Nehemiah is saying, we have to rebuild the walls. Very briefly, but this is the way it is, for Christians who aren't planted in a church, you're basically saying, I'm going outside the city walls. I'm doing my own thing. But when you do that, you are very, very vulnerable. You leave yourself open to the enemy, to the world, because it's just you. Whereas in the city, the walls are there. This is the city of the living God. He, read the Psalms, he is the rock of Zion. He is our shelter. He is our protection. This is to be a place of protection and safety and goodness and healing and peace and joy for all of us here. The city has defenses. A village doesn't. Number five, lastly, the keys can come up. A city visibly seeks to attract a village seeks to hide itself away. A city visibly seeks to attract, a village seeks to hide itself away. Matthew 5 verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jerusalem was a city set on a hill, by the way. And so Jesus is saying you are to be a city set on a hill that cannot be ignored, that cannot be overlooked, that is visible to everybody around you. Now, for us internationally, we know what this process feels like, but from the other side. We know what it's like to experience what they call the brain drain. We know what it's like to lose many of our young people because they want to go for more opportunities, and the opportunities are where? They're in Cardiff, they're in London, they're in the cities. And we know as a church that we've sometimes flipped the process because some people have stayed or they've wanted to come back because they like this church. And so they've kind of come back towards Tneshi. In comparison, Villages hide themselves away. They don't want a lot of people to come along and mess things up. They want to be left 
in peace and quiet. They don't want to build new homes. They don't want lots of tourists coming in. They want to be left alone. When Christians take that attitude towards church, not only do they betray the vision of God, but it doesn't end well. And many many a Welsh chapel has found that out. If you want to be left alone, you might well get your wish. And not good things will come from that. Sometimes the church does this maybe out of fear. You know, the reason St. David's, the actual cathedral, is in a valley, not on a hill, because it would keep getting burnt down by the Vikings, so they put it in the valley so the Vikings' ships couldn't see it on a hill. They literally hid the cathedral away. But metaphorically and spiritually speaking, that's not what we're meant to do. We're not meant to be out of fear, hide the church away in a valley, hoping nobody sees us and being very quiet. We're meant to be a city on a hill, out there, bold, because God is with us. We want everybody to see what God is doing. St. Augustine in the city of God, his classic, he wrote, glorious beyond compare is the heavenly city. As it progresses towards that day, the church is to be ever more glorious, drawing people to come. A city seeks to attract, a village seeks to hide itself away. The church is a city not a village. My other points were a city requires increasingly complex design. A village wants to remain as they are. A city has clear systems of governance. A village less so, but we're out of time, so we're not going to go there. But this is the thing. We're not there yet, as I said. The city is still yet to come in its fullness. But this is what we read, the sneak peek of the end in Revelation 21, verse 10 to 11. This is what John sees. He carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. I've got two questions to leave you with this morning. Two applications. And the first one is this. Are you an investor and developer of this city? Are you part of the building project team? Are you sowing your love and your prayers and your time and your energy and your finance? Are you developing the city, investing in it? Are you of the mentality that I want to build for those who aren't here yet? I want to build for generations that will come after me. I won't benefit from it, but I want them to benefit from it. I want to enlarge the city. Or if you're honest, are you more of a person outside the city walls just shouting criticism at the city, but not lifting a finger to help, and just being more about, I want to do what I want to do, but I'm going to just shout my peace while I feel like it. I'd encourage you to get involved in building this city. It's a very secure investment, because God secures it, and it's going to come to pass. It's going to do a lot of good, and there's a massive heavenly reward at the end of it. It's a really good investment, the best you can make. And the second question is this, and I think as Welsh people and people from Llanelli, we need to hear this and really consider it. Don't just say yes. Is your vision of church big enough? Consider that. Do you, or do I have to ask, put limits on what I think God can do because I'm looking at it with Welsh eyes rather than kingdom of God eyes.
Is it big enough? Do we say it's impossible to rebuild the church in Wales? The task is too big. Do we say it's impossible? Siloa, why does a, why does a town need another church when we're struggling with these ones? The people of Seaside are waiting that God wants them to be reached. Is our vision big enough? And a good way to test it is to come back to the start. What do you mourn about when it comes to church? And what do you like when it comes to church? Are you someone who mourns about, oh, it's too busy, or the past hasn't got time for me, or all oh, this new person, new people coming in, the youth are kicking off and doing my head in. Are you that person? There's a little bit of it in all of us, right? The Pharisee is hidden in all of us. Or do we say, actually, moi, I'm a chibshawer moi, more to save many more, further, bigger, expand until every person hears this gospel. We want everybody to be reached with the kingdom of God. Do we have a city mentality, a biblical one, or maybe a Welsh, my village, that's all I care about, mentality. The church is a city, not a village. Let's all stand together. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to use your imagination, like we did last week, to really get this picture in our hearts. I want you to imagine a city on a hill. And imagine that it's enormous. And as you're gazing upon it, imagine that it's expanding all the time. And as you look inside, the people that they're made up of all different kinds of cultures and professions and classes and races but they're all working together. You see the walls and they're massive. Those inside are safe and well defended. Imagine that the design is beautiful and intricate. That it's well ordered and well run. And imagine outside the city, there is a darkness. But the city itself is shining a light like a beacon driving the darkness away. And as you gaze, you see streams of people leaving the darkness and heading to the light, heading to the city, heading to Zion, drawn by its beauty and glory, the heading home. The church is a city, God's city. So let's get building. Thanks for listening to this message from 21st Century Church. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and remember to check us out at 21stCenturyChurch.co.uk. We'll see you next time.